How many of you do puzzles? How many of you do puzzles without looking at the box? Oh, there's actually a few. How many of you like to go new places? How many of you go new places without looking at the map and without looking, turning on Waze or some other application like that? Oh, nobody? You're not adventurous? We're in a walk with God, and I wonder if you've ever actually took, taken a look at the map. So I, I pastor a couple weeks ago said, uh, I think I'm going to Reverb, Doug, you have to preach. It's like, okay, what am I going to preach? Lord, what do you want me to say? And my, my head went back to conversations that Rick Spath and I had and some verses that he and I looked at back when I started going, all right, so we're not part of the old covenant. We're part of the new covenant. That means we have new laws. What are those new laws? Because everybody thinks that the law of Christ is the Sinai covenant, and it isn't. So I started looking at imperatives with Rick in the New Testament and did some statistical analysis and, and found one that seemed predominantly greater than all the other commandments. So I started talking to Rick about those, that word, that Greek word. And it happens to be in the first verse that we're going to look at, which, which is in um, John 1, 12 and 13. And I'm going to read it now in two different versions. We'll talk a little bit more. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And, and I'll leave it there. We'll come back to the other version in a minute. Uh, and, and when I went to this verse, because it was the first one on the list, and one that I had remembered that intrigued me, it wasn't a command. But that ended up opening a whole door. So, you know, I looked back at the commands, and, and lo and behold, this particular word has 44 verses that it appears in, in the New Testament. So we're going to be here for a while. No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to look at two this morning, two in particular. But what I want you to catch is... Not only what do these verses say and what do these verses command us, but what's the picture? Like, like you're doing a puzzle, you keep looking back at the picture to reference. Like, where does this piece go? How does this fit, right? I want you to catch the picture. Now, the Old Testament is, is written in mostly Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, but Hebrew is an expressively pictorial language. And, and we're told that the Hebrew language and the Hebrew scriptures are, are examples to us as New Testament believers. So we're going to look at the picture that started there that now flows to us and how it's changed a little bit or how it could change. Um, so, you know, buckle up. We're going to go for a ride. We're going to look at a bunch of verses. And I'm hoping that you catch the two exhortations and that, that you do what it says. Because there's the thrust of the, of the message, you'll see. So, John 1, 12, and 13, I'll, I'll read it again in, in, one ver, in the version that I did. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, uh, not a, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word that we're focusing on is the Greek word ginomai, become. Right? So I went, when I went to this verse, first of all, it talks about receiving him, right? That's a punctiliar action. As many, so he just talked about how his brethren in the previous verse, and it's not on, in, up there, but the previous verse um, says that not all of them received him, right? They, they rejected him. But as many as received him, and that was, that's a punctiliar action. There's a group of the Hebrews in the first century who received him, and the apostles are, you know, 12 examples of that, right? 
They accepted him. It's, it's a simple word of take and receive. It's like a present. They took him in. And a present, when it's handed to you, isn't yours until you take it out of that person's hands, right? And you open it up. We know that salvation is a gift, a gift from God. Here it is, but you have to receive it. You have to open it up. You have to own it. And, and we all understand that. We understand the whole concept of justification and justification, that atonement that Christ provided for us when we were dead in trespasses and sin and under the God's wrath and, and ready to be destroyed is a punctiliar action. It, we have received Christ. We trust in the sacrifice that, that he has made on our behalf in our place, and we have been atoned for and and we receive that, and, and we stand in that position. So the whole gift of salvation, as one preacher says, occurs in three time zones, right? It's in, it's in the past, it's already done, it's complete, it's in the present, it's ongoing, and it's in the future, it will be culminated, it will be fully orbed, it will be fully received, Right? So this is talking about received him. It's, it's in the past, right? To those who received him, and I'm one who received him. Not way, way back there 2,000 years ago, but in 1990, right? To those who received him, he gave them the right, the authority, the power to do a thing, the ability to become children of God, right? So... This right or this authority denotes a divinely given right and the power to act along with the related freedom. So you've been given something, and that also is punctiliar. You've been given it. It's another part of the gift. But you have to do something with it now. You have the authority to do something. The authority, the right, the power, the ability to become children of God. Well, I, th I thought I already was a children of God, right? Because I stand in justification, but I am also becoming a child of God. So it is a position that I have, and it is something that I am becoming, and something that I will eventually become. It also is in three time zones. The becoming is punctiliar here, and it, I, I, I didn't expect that. So it's, it's talking about I am standing in this position as a child of God, and we'll talk about the child that's there. Um, so it's a position. I am a child of God. I've received Christ. I'm a child of God. But that's not the end of it, right? So I stand as a child of God, and, and God has given me the ability to become into that standing. So it's all about, and, and the next phrase, who we're born, right? So it's talking about the birth event. I received, I, he gave me something, and I, I now stand born as a child of God. Newborn baby. Of course, it, it doesn't call me a newborn baby. It uses one of six Greek words to describe me as a child of God. And it's not the preborn. It's not the brand new baby. It's not huios, which is son, which refers to adult children. It's the generic term, techna. So it could be, you know, from anywhere from infancy to full-grown maturity. So now I am a child of God. I am I am adopted into his family because that's exactly what happens. We're not born of his substance directly. We are adopted. And it says, to those who believe, and that's not punctiliar, that's continuous. To those who are continuing to believe in his name. 
So something goes along with being a son, you continue to believe in his name, and, and his name is a phrase that means not only the person, like Yeshua, Jesus, or Adonai, but all the fully orbed efforts and, and life of that person, right? You believe on everything that he is and has done, and you continue to believe. And when you are continuing to believe, you are a techna, you are a child, a little one. Literally, the term tends to mean children of, or one's obedient to, or one's subject to, and has a sense of followers or disciples. So it's not just a birth thing, right? And he... John goes to the further degree who said, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And, you know, the Reformed doctrine makes this say something that I think is a little bit different than what it says. So I'm going to read it in the complete Jewish Bible. But as many as, as did receive him, past tense, to those who put their trust in his person and power... He gave the right to become children of God, not because of bloodline, physical impulse, or human intention, but because of God. So the three words there is blood or natural descent, not because of blood or natural descent, not because of the desire of the flesh, literally, something that we choose to do, and not because of a husband's desire. Thelema in both of those phrases, desirous will. So it's not like the husband chose this and it, it became. So it's not so much, hey, it's by my will as in my volition that we often kind of go there, but that's definitely within the realm of the physical impulse and the bloodline thing, right? So the Expositor's Bible commentary makes this commentary. Become indicates clearly that people are not spiritually children of God by natural birth. For we cannot become what we already are. So you become something. You're spirit, spiritually born. This verb implies a change of nature. Believers are God's little ones, related to him by birth. And the relation is spiritual, not biological. So it's the spiritual birth. And in two chapters over, John is going to go have this, remember that Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, how can I be born again? Right? And if you know the context, in, in the Jewish context of that day, Jewish men went through five births. Their physical birth, the birth when they first became toddlers, the birth of, of becoming adults, like we call that bar mitzvah today, the birth of getting married, the birth of becoming a rabbi. Those are all like chapters of your life where you, they considered it a new birth. And, and Nicodemus was all the way at the end of it. And he's like, how can I be born again? I can't start over. Christ was, you, know, you must be born again. You must have a different type of birth, a spiritual birth. So I'm assuming that most of you have had that spiritual birth. If you haven't, come talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. Roman would love to talk to you about that. We have a lunch. We can sit down over food and talk about that. So we need to become... We, we have become, but then it comes to those commands of become, right? So that, this is the beginning of the story. Let's go look at the end of the story. Turn with me to um, 1 Peter 9. No, 1 Peter 1, sorry. 1 Peter 1, and I'm going to read a little bit of what Roman read around what I want to talk about this morning. So Roman talked about some of these verses last week, and we're going to kind of pile on to those. So 1 Peter 9, let's read 6 through 9, because I want to set the context. 
Peter is, is writing to the Jewish people primarily in the diaspora, and, he says, and, and you need to understand their situation. So, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you are being grieved by various trials. So they're under persecution and struggle. That, and they're under trial, trials that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise and honor and glory at the revelation, the second revelation of, of Jesus Christ, whom not having seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The end of your faith, the telos, the, the goal of your faith. At the end, you receive the goal. The end, which is, and that receiving is not the same to take or receive, like a present. It's, it's a different word, and it means to get or to obtain. It has a sense of receiving a reward or receiving a recompense or receiving a reimbursement, or receiving an inheritance, right? So the end of this, of your faith, is to receive an inheritance. And that inheritance is the salvation, right? It is the saving of your life all the way through. And I think, in particular, Peter is meaning the saving of your life here and now in the midst of trials, but not necessarily. And we can have an argument about that. So the command appears in 13 through 16. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you, that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, techna, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, be also holy in all your content, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. So again, tekna, the tekna, we're children generically at different stages, and we're called to be holy, hagias, Right? And I consider this the most important becoming verb that we're going to look at because it says to be holy as he is holy. Holiness is the only attribute of, of God that we find in Scripture in the superlative. Good, better, best. We see it in Isaiah 66, holy, holy, holy. We see it in phrases like, and kamocha Adonai, who is like you, Adonai? He is completely other, right? He is holy, like nothing else in all of reality is holy. And he is separate from his creation. He is holy from his creation. And we're called to become holy, right? So there's two statements there. You are, um, he who called you, at, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy, become holy. It is a command, and it is punctiliar, which says, start becoming holy because you're not yet. So there's the kick in the pants, Right? Start becoming holy because it is um, as he is in all of your conduct, in all of your life, in all the affairs of your life, start becoming holy. And we're supposed to do it as he who called us is holy. So our comparison is to be holy like the one who called us. And then he says, because it's written... Be holy, for I am holy. And that, that occurs in numerous places. Incidentally, 
Where it says be holy, there is also that same word become. It's also a command, but it's continuous. And that means that you should continue something that you've started. Continue becoming holy. Now, we need to understand what we're being called to when it says holy. You know, it's not just, ah, right? Not just kneeling and saying the rosary as a good ex-Catholic. It's not, you know, making your trip to Jerusalem. It's something very different. So first of all, let's look at the basis of this. First, let's go back to that one favorite book that everybody dies in when they start reading the Bible through for the first time, Leviticus. The whole point of the book of Leviticus is a single word, holy. It's Leviticus 11, 44 and 45. For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate yourselves and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you be defile yourselves with any creeping thing that creeps upon the earth, for I am the Lord who brings you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. And he tells them, you're supposed to be holy like I am at the end of all what he says that you can eat. You're supposed to be holy in what you put in your mouth. There's one. The second one in, in Leviticus 19, 1 and 2, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And he says that in, in the beginning of when he's starting to talk about the more moral and ceremonial laws. So we kind of divide the the Mosaic Covenant into three, into ceremonial laws, into festivals and sacrifices, and into the moral laws. And, and people tend wrongly to say, well, there's no more temples, so there's no more sacrifices. So that part of the law doesn't apply when, in fact, God always talks about the Sinai Covenant as one law. And as James puts it, if you break and break anything, if you make an offense in any one single point of the one law, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. And that's how we know that we're not under the Sinai Covenant. So in the, all the moral respects, we're supposed to be holy as God is holy in the one law. And the last one is in the Leviticus 20, two different verses. 20 verse 7, consecrate yourselves... Therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the one who sanctifies you, who is holifying you, who is making you holy. So be holy continuously, but I am making you holy. And then at the end of the same chapter, you shall be holy to me, for I am I, the Lord, am holy, and I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And separated is another way of saying, I have made you holy. See, the basic meaning of holy is to separate. And the concept is, is, has a movement. You become separated from something, and you become separated unto something, right? And all of these verses are talking us be, about being separated from whatever we start as unto God. Now think about this in the context. This will blow your mind. God had 70 nations. And at, at the Tower of Babel, he threw them out. He says, I'm letting you go. You're not mine. And, and like the next chapter, he calls Abraham out of the Ur of Chaldees to come to him. And he takes Abraham and out of Abraham and Sarah, who were past childbearing age, he creates a nation. Abraham and Sarah, when Sarah's 90 and Abraham's 100, have a child Isaac. They had a, 
Abraham had another child by Hagar, Ishmael, right? But God said, no, 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 Isaac is the one out of Sarah's own body. Isaac marries, Isaac has Esau and Jacob. No, 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 it's not Esau, Jacob, Jacob is the one. And out of Jacob, 12 tribes. So God created a nation unto himself, right? But wait, it doesn't stop there, because now there is one holy nation among 70 other nations, and the two family members, Ishmael and Esau, ended up intermarrying, and look at the conflict in, in the Middle East. Those are exactly those two sides of the family that are warring. So not only did God separate, create and separate a nation unto himself, but he did something else. And, and I need to read what Roman wrote, what Roman um, spoke last week to understand the something else. So 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10 but you, this is back in First Peter talking to the believers, right? But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but now are a people of God who have who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So he calls this believing group a holy nation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Now thinking back to the Old Testament, to the Hebrew Scriptures, you had this one holy nation, right? But there was one tribe that was separated. The priesthood, right? The Levites. It was originally supposed to be all the firstborn, but then you had that calf incident. And, and Moses said, you know, who is with me? Come over here. And all the Levites came. And they strapped on swords, and they went and killed about 3,000. Right? And God judged the nation for the, for the calf incident. And God said, they're going to be separated unto me. And everybody got an inheritance in the land except the Levites. God was their inheritance. So there is a holy tribe among the holy nation. But wait, there's more. He said, Aaron is holy unto me. He wore a, a banner as high priest, holy unto the Lord. And he was separated from the Levites as holy. He was taken out of the Levites and brought closer to God, holy. So the nation is holy, but the Levites are more holy and, and, and of human beings, Aaron was most holy. And he was allowed once a year to go in to the Holy of Holies with a lot of blood and make an atonement for the nation, for the forgiveness of their sins, that the nation could con continue to live with God. And, and as they made this covenant, and there were three times that Israel affirmed, we will do all that you say, right? And then they go, and they start the journey, and they rebel against God for ten different events where they're complaining against God and doing the wrong thing and doing what he did, told them not to do, and God said, that's enough. We're going into the wilderness. And all of you adults, because you would not follow me into the land that I'm going to give you, because the land's going to devour your children, you're all going to die in the desert and I will take your children into the land after you're gone. He didn't disinherit the nation, but that generation had sinned against him, and he said, nope, in this life you're not going in, 
at least. And we've been reading, right? So Joshua goes into the land, and Joshua starts and falters with Ai, and then he, he carries out the mission. He's putting under the ban certain cities where the giants still were and killing off that new, uh, mutation of a race. But as it comes to the end of his life, they haven't settled the whole land. And they started making compromises with the people of the land. And when Joshua goes, and all the people that grew up around Joshua have gone, the next generation, Judges, starts, who's his God? Right? And we see that God lets them, lets them out on the line. They get in trouble. They, God, help us. He raises up a judge, and he brings them back to himself, and he plants them again, trying to make them holy, and they go around this tree several times. And then finally David, right? And the kingdoms. And we're reading in the prophets at the end of the kingdom series, both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, not so good, right? And finally you're going to Babylon. And Hosea, I'm divorcing you. But while, and you'll read this this week in Ezekiel, all the time he says, I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. And here's, here's the point in Ezekiel. In Ezekiel's statement of the new covenant, and I spoke this to the men a couple weeks ago. So Ezekiel 36, it's long. But notice what's repeated here. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 16. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man... When the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, this was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity. And all of you adults, I'm, I'm assume, assuming you understand that. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood which they had shed on the land and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the country, I'd, countries. I judged them according to their ways and deeds. When they came to the nation, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. Profane is exactly the opposite of holy. It's making common, treating it like dirt. They profaned my holy name. When they said of them, when the nation said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they've gone out of his, his land. But I, had not, but I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among all the nations wherever they went. Therefore I say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my own name's sake which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. I will sanctify, make holy, my great name, which you have profaned among the nations wherever, uh, among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am Adonai, that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all the filthiness of your idols. I will give you a new heart, that's a human heart, and put a new spirit, a new human spirit within you. And I will take the start of heart of stone or rebellion out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh an obedient heart and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all uncleanness that nation has part of this fulfilled already. It started in 1948. It's at war right now. So there's the backdrop. There's the example. 
right? They were supposed to become holy. God is telling us now, as a new nation, separate from Israel, we're a messianic nation, we are a spiritual nation, not the United States of America. There is no, there is one holy nation on earth, that's Israel. There is no Christian nation on earth. There's a spiritual nation made up of Christians or Messianic Jews, if you will. And we are called, we are commanded to be holy as He is holy, set apart from everything else unto Him. So now we go back to 1 Peter, and 1 Peter 2.2 starts to introduce, therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking as newborn babes. Desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby if you indeed have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So he's calling us to put all of this from our old lives aside and as newborn babes, there's a picture to catch, desire. This is a command. It's a command to keep on doing, to keep on desiring, literally to long for, to yearn after. How does a, how does a, a newborn babe react when it wants milk? Right? We're supposed to be that exasperated when we don't have milk. We're commanded to yearn for milk. And that milk is the pure spiritual milk. Right? Desire the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Do you desire God's Word like a baby desires milk? A newborn babe desires milk because it's the same thing for our spiritual being as a child of God if we don't have the milk of God's word we are malnutritioned we are now dying of famine so when you say I'm not going to read God's word today you're doing yourself harm Desire the milk, the pure milk, that you may grow by thereby. The grow is to grow up, to get mature. And it's a subjunctive. It's, I want to give this to you, but you have to do something to get it. It's like a conditional statement. If you desire the milk, I'll give it to you and you'll grow. If you call out to me, I'll give you the milk and you'll grow. The complete Jewish Bible puts it therefore this way. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy and envy, and all of the ways, uh, and all of the ways there are of speaking against people, and like newborn babes, thirst for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow up into de deliverance, that you, for you have trusted that Adonai is good. The New Living Translation, slightly different. So get rid of all the evil behavior done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babes, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have tasted the Lord's kindness. And then he goes in. Well, so this is, this is the way Peter puts it. Let's move over to James chapter 1 because James puts it much more clearly. So 
This is, this is the midst of the story where we are now as techna, as children. We're supposed to desire the pure milk, and we have to grow, right? We go from being little babes to, to toddlers to, to teenagers to fully adult, right? There is a growth pattern over the course of this Christian life, and it eventually ends up where we fully receive the inheritance when Christ comes again. Some of us want to stay as babies. And there are warnings in Scripture for staying as babies because you can stay there. And we looked at this in the Hebrew study with Pastor Rizzo. You can get to a point where God says, okay, you're going to be a baby as long as you're on the earth. So James puts it this way, James 1, 21 and 22, therefore laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. There's two concepts right in the beginning, to put off and put on. Right? Put off filthiness, which is vulgarity. Put off malice and evil, right? Overflow of wickedness. And put on to receive. It's a different kind of receive. This, this receive is to welcome, to invite in, to bring hospitality to a person at your door. So you're supposed to put off the malice and the vulgarity and the things that you grew up in before you became spiritually born, and you're supposed to welcome in something else, right? And that welcoming in, receive it with humility, with meekness, with power under control, the implanted Word, God's Word. And it's implanted because right now I'm throwing seed, Right? And the Holy Spirit is going, let's try to plant this seed in your heart. Now, look at, the, look at the parable of the soils. What kind of seed is your heart? What kind of soil is your heart? Is it thorny soil? Is it rocky soil? Is it off-the-path soil? Or is it fruitful, prepared soil to receive the Word of God and to grow thereby? And he paralyzed this. And, so, and this word is, is able to save your souls. It's able to bring blessing to your life here. It's able to change your life and make it better and prepare you for the end, the inheritance. Now, just think about the end for a second. Because you're born here, you're, you're, you're physically born as, as part of the world, as an idolater, under God's wrath and judgment. And, and at some point in time, you heard the gospel, and you received it. You opened the present. You became a child of God. And you're destined to be with Him face to face forever. In, the, in like the holy of holies. <clears throat> Yet you're here going, I don't want to know what his word says. I don't want to do what he says. I want to live my life. I want to go after those things that I'm supposed to not go after. There's the picture, right? The exhortation is exactly because of that picture. And it says to yearn for God's word to desire God's Word, to cry out for God's Word, that you might be able to grow up as a child of God, that you might be separated from the world because you're supposed to be a royal priesthood. You're not only supposed to be a priest like the Levites in the temple, but you're of royal blood. Now look at the, the kings and queens of, Is, uh, of Britain. You think their children grow up exactly like the other children in the sewer, like Charles Dickens' children? No. They have to learn how to act in state, how to, how to 
ooh, run, run the family business, right? Because we have a family business. It's called reaching out to the world and telling them about Yeshua. It's called being holy, calling them to receive what we've been given, calling them to God's mercy, calling him to, to God's forgiveness. Grow up in the faith. Become the children as adults that you're supposed to be. And how do you... It's not only receiving the word, like, all right, I got it. His, his next phrase, the next verse, tells you what receiving looks like. It's a command. Be doers of the word, not hearers only deceiving yourself. There's, there's two, like, related commands, and they're both Commands in the present, they're continuous. Continue doing this, right? The first one is continue doing this positive thing. Continue becoming doers, makers, the ones who put it in their hands and put it on their feet. And, and, and they don't just say, I know that you're, you're destitute, your house burned down, I'll pray for you, go and be warmed. But you give them something to eat. You give them food. You give them clothing. You help them get back on their feet. You start, as Romans says, being conformed to the image of His Son, Yeshua, that He might be the firstborn of many brethren. The term Christians was used in Antioch. It was a derogatory term. You know what it meant? Little Christs. Our lives should look just like Christ. Just like the Messiah. So continue becoming doers. And not only hearers. So you're here hearing right now. You got to go beyond hearing. And it says hearing because in the Jewish culture, the, the Jewish culture was an oral culture. After Christ died, it was oral tradition for decades. Repeated, repeated. It became hymns, early hymns and songs. Even in the Jewish culture before Christ came, nobody had a Bible. Scrolls were very expensive. Your synagogue may not have a full set of scrolls. You went to synagogue at that late stage to hear the word, and you would memorize it. You'd teach it to your children. You'd say it over and over and over. But, you know, Elijah went out. He heard the storm, but the Lord was not in the storm, right? All those stories, all those pictures. Don't be just hearers. You have to put it into practice. Be doers. And you know why? Because that last phrase is really, really scary. Deceiving yourselves. It's also, it's a participle, it's concurrent with becoming doers. And it's negated, like don't do this. Literally the word is paralegizomai, excuse me. There's a verb and there's a preposition jammed together. Legizomai means to reckon, to count, to reason, to calculate, and para as a preposition means to move away from. So the concept is you are, when you're not a doer, you are reasoning away from the word that you're supposed to be implanted. You are literally going, yeah, I got that. Not, I don't want that. You are making a rationalization not to do that. The middle of the story is a mechanism of command of how you get from being born as a child to receiving the inheritance as a child. And our lives are supposed to express God's glory. 
We're supposed to be like little Christs wherever we go. Now just look at Christ's life. He is the perfect son. He's the perfect son who went and did everything his father said at the right time, in the right way, with the right words, including talking to the Pharisees. And that's what we're supposed to be. Now, you want to be doers of the word? Join small groups, because we will help you see, oh, I have to do this. This is where I fall down, right? I need, I need to, to do something different. Or better yet, join a, join a D group, right? Where you're going to have brothers or sisters, because we keep the sex accepted there, which is good, so we can get down and dirty about what we're struggling with, right? And your brother's going, I got your back. I'm going to call you this week. Or next week, you're going to tell me what you did. Well, you know, I, I've asked you at times, pray for this, right? Because I'm going to have this conversation, and, not, you know, it's a fearful thing to have that conversation. That's what we need to do. That's the community here. By that, we will grow, becoming doers. And this whole put, off, put on thing is also in Ephesians, and you don't have a slide for that. But you have not so learned Christ, Ephesians 4, 24. If indeed you have heard and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, or Yeshua, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I always looked at these verses as the put off and put on, like changing a shirt, right? You got to take off to put on the new, right? But in, 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 in the euphemism of habits, you need to start a new habit in order to displace an old bad habit. That's, that's what Peter's getting at and James are, is getting at here. And Paul in this verse, you need to do things differently, right? So I have a question for you. My question is, are you becoming or unbecoming? Unbecoming is not a word that we often use, but it's not a good word. Because if you're not becoming, you are unbecoming before the Lord. Now, I'll give you a picture, one last picture as I close. The picture is what we call the, uh, the parable of the, of the sons. There's two sons, right? And I, I don't remember where this is. I, I thought of it just earlier. Father comes into his two sons, and he says, and, and I gathered that they weren't together in the same room. He says, I want you to go work in the field today. And the first says, son says, no, I don't want to do that. And the second son says, sure, Dad, I'm going. And after a bit, the first son thought about it, and he repented, and he went. And the second son, even though he said he would, he didn't go. There's the picture. Which son are you? The one who reacts and says, nah, I don't want to do that. That's too hard. But then you think about it and go. Or are you the one that says, oh, Dad, I got it. I got your back. I'll be out in the harvest field. Just let me tie my shoes. And then you don't go. Go. <laughs>